and welcome to Women in Audio, a podcast series brought to you by a professional audio trade magazine, ProSound News Europe. I'm Tara Lepore, ProSound's staff writer, and in each of these episodes, I'll be joined by ProSound's editor, Dan Gumbel, to bring you some interviews with some amazing women in the audio industry, in radio, broadcast, and in the studio. Today's guest is the wonderful producer and solo artist, Lauren Deacon Davies, who has been trailblazing her way through the audio industry in the past couple of years. A week before she met us to chat on this podcast, we bumped into her at AIM's Women in Music event at City Hall in London, where she was in charge of Sound for the Night. She was also a panellist at ProSound's PSM Presents Networking Night in November last year, where she spoke about the current state of the studio sector. She won the NMG Producer of the Year Award a month later, and is the youngest ever member of the Music Producers Guild. So there are certainly many exciting things happening for Lauren right now. If you enjoy hearing about all of it in this episode, please do rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at PSN Europe and Instagram at PSN Europe and visit our website, psneurope.com. Thank you very much and we hope you enjoy it. So today we are joined by the amazing producer and solo artist, Lauren Deacon-Davis. Hello. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks you. Yes, thanks for coming in. Um, So if you wanted to start by just uh, explaining a bit about what you do and what you're working on at the moment, maybe. Awesome, yeah. So um, I'm a producer and I have my own little studio called The Den, uh, which is where I do like most of my recording. Um, and I also write songs and perform under the name Dee Dee as a solo artist. Um, I'm currently working on like three EPs and an album as a producer, and that kind of encompasses engineering as well as like getting involved. I'm quite, I'm kind of the person that will like do song surgery on people, like or if they're like, I'll make sure that if they're doing a song for a single or something like that, I'll make sure that it's the best one to really work for that. Or maybe get involved quite a lot. So that's what I like doing as an engineer and producer. Hopefully, people don't. Hate me for it. <laughs> <laughs> how did you? So how did you get into this role? How did, where did it all begin? I think um, it wasn't actively a conscious decision, but it definitely wasn't a coincidence or an accident that I ended up doing it. And um, when I was, I've been in bands for like ever. So when I was in like nine, ten, I got a guitar, and obviously instinctively the first thing I did was I should be in a band. So then I made my other friends that played appropriate instruments be in a band with me. We played really crappy, like, grunge music. Um, and I wrote all of the songs for that. But also, for some reason, I didn't like other people's songs. I didn't like learning other people's songs or listening to other people's music. So naturally, I just wrote songs instead. Um, and then that kind of evolved. And then I was in, like, a ukulele folk group with, like, these my best friends and everything like that. And it was really, really nice. And then um, we got some major label interest or whatever and then we ended up leaving school to be like we're going to be famous musicians oh my god this is amazing and then we won and then um I but when we were in the studio and everything and recording with that band I was like wow this is what I want to do like I was the person always sitting over the shoulder of the engineer like asking you know what does that do what does that do what does that do and at that point I was like I want to be in the studio all the time, so then I started like just collecting equipment and everything like that, and then started recording. But I did like my first recording of someone else when I was like seventeen, and I got hired at the cream room to work at on the Lexham Mothers is EP when I was like seventeen. That was kind of random. What was it that that drew you so much to the the studio and the production aspects of things? You know, you, you said you were always kind of over the shoulder of whoever was mixing or producing the record. What what was it that drew you away from playing and? further towards 
the actual technical side of the music. I guess, ironically, I would say it like drew me further in because what I saw when I saw the studio and all of the equipment and everything was this is the next step of how you can convey your music. So I viewed it as more like, if I understood how to do this, then I could be more experimental or more adventurous with my own music and not have to always rely or try to convey what I'm thinking. Because as soon as you know what you're doing, even if you're working with another producer, you can say like, oh, you know, like, th there's too much low mids in that bit, or like, can you like change the limiter threshold on the compressor because I want to have it like cracking a bit more, you know, like, or things like that. And I think that's kind of what I saw with it. But also, I'm just really nerdy. Like growing up, I was always making things. I was always like, I was quite a computer nerd. And I don't know, so it, was just, it just seemed really natural to like do engineering and production as well as like a way to do music. So. Did, did it come really naturally when you started doing that? Or did you take any sort of courses to try and learn more or was it all just like learning on the job in the studio? Um, I did my AS levels in music tech but my school was not equipped to do it. We had to petition to get them even to do it at my school so we were running like Cubase on like old computers with like, it did, we did have a small studio but it really wasn't the one you know um, and we were yeah, learning Cubase and I think that's where I learned the basics so that it was, I wasn't going completely dark, like I did understand that. Um, but I do think, in retrospect, looking back at other people, it did not take me long to pick up what to do. Like, I feel like I do sponge things quite a lot, so if you tell me how to do it, I will probably work it out quite quickly and then work out my way how I want to do it, and then three other variations of how to do the same thing, or like, so that's, I just feel like that did come quite naturally, but I'm far from, like, an expert or, like, anything like that, but it does seem to, seem to get the results. I think, I guess that's all that really matters, okay. <laughs> so you said you've got your own studio that you that you work up. Can you tell us a little bit about the setup that you have there and what you what your main pieces of kit are that you rely on? Yeah, I mean the studio itself is kind of I guess a bit of a glorified shed, um, as all bottom of the garden studios are. <laughs> um, but it's it's really good because um, it was built to be the shape of the bottom of the garden, which. The bottom of the garden isn't like a square, so it's like a weird angled shape. So it means that the den wasn't meant to be a studio, it was meant to be like a party pool house room. Um, but I ended up commandeering it and then turning it into my studio. But I have like no parallel walls or anything, so inadvertently it was just really good for like not understanding waves and stuff. So that like is nice in itself. Um, and then the other part is just having the gear. So um, I was running like a UAD Quad Apollo system. Um, I don't have like a big desk, it's all just interfaces. Um, I bought some like lexicon outboard units and stuff like that. Um, but then I got a, a like endorsement from DigiGrid, and so now I run like an entirely DigiGrid system and just you know all the waves plugins and everything. I'm hooked now on waves. <laughs> um, and so yeah, and then I've just got like I've just got an SE mic actually. Like I've got I've got quite a few. I've got a Rode sponsorship as well, so I ended up having like loads of Rode microphones. Um, and then I'm just running like Audio Technica. Um, MX50s, got some M70s as well. Um, but like, it's, just, it's such a basic, just KRK speakers, like, and then I'm running it off my MacBook and I'm running Logic. So it's like, it is basically a glorified home studio, but I think the thing that makes it difference is, is like, I know how to make it work. Like, I can try and make it so it sounds like the other stuff. Um, but I'm always up for improving or upgrading. How have, you, how have you kind of learnt your craft? Is it from working with other people or have you self-taught a lot like, I don't know, on YouTube and, and like just practising yourself or have you learnt from people that you've worked with? I would, I would say that it would 
it was me experimenting stuff and then me going into the studio and then remembering so much of what happened in that one experience that then what, I was the, like the, the first time you went into the studio yeah with band. yeah oh, like okay. so much from that or like the few times that I went into other studios I just remember to wrote down the key elements that I wanted to and then afterwards I'd try them out myself and then if I couldn't remember what it needed to happen like when I was suddenly had to side chain stuff and I'd like YouTube it to like make sure that I wasn't like completely messing up but I would say it was from just being in the studio with other people it's like hands down the way I've learned the most and that's even from just being in other people's home studios or just like them showing me something on their laptop or like whatever and then being like oh I can do that so that's yeah but I didn't study or anything it's kind of ironic that I'm teaching now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Um, so, do you want us to talk a bit more about that? So you've been asked to... I've been, I've been asked to um, lecture at Brunel. Well, I am lecturing at Brunel University. Um, and also some other ones that haven't been like publicly confirmed yet. But like I'm lecturing at like three different universities, teaching music production and songwriting and like song arrangement and stuff, which is just funny. So I have no qualifications at all. <laughs> Presumably, though, you must have quite an impressive CV in order to have, mm. uh, to have got that. So I know that you've like, you've broken several records, haven't you? <laughs> so I'll, I'll let you tell us a little bit about that. Um, I Well, I, I'm the youngest producer to have a track played on BBC Radio 2 when I was, like, 18. Or I produced it when I was 17, but it came out when I was 18. Um, so that's sort of, like, set me there. And then I also won the Energy Award for... Uh, Best producer of the year of 2017, which is a bit of a vague award, but like I will take that. Thank you. But there was only there was the only woman nominated in the whole category. Everyone was like 30 plus. So for me to come in and be like 21 year old girl and come win the award, it was like what? So that was kind of like I was like what the hell because it's like these people are really good. <laughs> like why am I? So um, but yeah, no, there's kind of just an, an eclectic array of things. I don't know how many people would have produced as many albums that I've produced. And also like a couple of the albums are award-winning albums as well. Um, Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about those award-winning albums and some of the some of the sort of key or breakthrough projects or records that you've worked on? I think Kate Dimbleby's album is probably one of the most different things I've ever worked on, which also I, I don't know what award it actually won which is really bad, but it did win an award. Um, and uh, did, like it's Kate Dimbleby from the BBC Dimbleby dynasty or whatever the hell um, but she wanted to do an entire album of just vocal loops so I'd never done that before I don't, I've done like looping so I worked with an artist called Lewis Bootle and we did a lot of looping vocal looping guitars but you know it was clearly like the songs were normal songs with loops but Kate's were like so different some of them might have been like a minute long some of them were, like four minutes long and so it's really hard to know because I mixed that album as well as well as producing and engineering it so it's like where do you mix that? You've got 13 tracks of vocals all doing different things. It's like, and there's like no percussion, no guitar, no anything. So it's like, where do you put it? So I guess you put the lead vocal in the middle and it's like, how far do you pan various things? Like what effects do you use? What level should anything be? Should the harmony be matching it? Because it's like, when you're doing it live, it would be because when you're putting it through the looper, everything comes out the same volume. So that was a really interesting project to work on. Also because like her song sounded so different. You'd think a, like a 10 track, album just a vocal loops might just sound like really repetitive it didn't all the songs sounded really different so for me that was like an incredible album to work on and then another one was kelly oliver's album which is kind of like a folk album um, but that was the first album i ever did as well and that was called this land 
And that was fun. How, how do you kind of meet these people in, to work with them? How do you go about establishing contacts? Um, it, for Kate and Kelly, it's through my mum. So um, she runs, I, this is going to sound so like, bi- like biased now, but like, my mum <laughs> runs a record label, um, which definitely has influenced my success. Um, but she started the record label after I already started doing music production, after I was already doing stuff in the band. So she's, only, she's been doing that for like four years or so, but then I've been doing the production before that. Mm-hmm. And I think she's the kind of person that really is very passionate. And then when she saw that I could do the music production, and that she was promoting, like, she did lots of event promotion, that she saw these really good event uh, artists that needed music recording, it was like, obviously, they should go record with my mom, like, go record with me in the den, and then she'll release the material or the promo afterwards, so it just, it was just like a really good synergy. Yeah, cool. Um, so that's arguably how I've got most of it, but now, now I go to events like the AIM event, or Red Bull, or anything like that, and or just people just approach me now, like I just get emails online and stuff, so I guess it's sort of now it's built up a, a bit of momentum. So. so the AIM event that you just mentioned there, for anyone that isn't aware, was um, the Association of Independent Musicians recently held an event called Women in Music, I believe mm-hmm. it was, yes. um, and there was a session there specifically on uh, women in the studio, Yeah. Um, and you... You were mixing sound for the evening. Yeah, ironically, I was doing the sound engineering for the producer panel. <laughs> I don't think I can get anyone else because I'm all on the panel. <laughs> um, so what kind of... Let's kind of move on then on to the subject of women in audio. Um, mm. Do you... Have you ever felt as if... I mean, you just mentioned there that you won the NM... NMG, NMG Music Generator. But you were the only woman on the kind of shortlist. Yeah. Um, have you ever kind of thought about that? <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it was it was quite funny because I definitely got into music production unaware that there weren't many women in it. I just literally hadn't thought about it, as I think a lot of people didn't really or don't really think about it until it's sort of more presented to you. And you're like, oh my God, that's actually a thing, isn't it? Um, so when I was like... 16, 17, starting out, I was like, oh, okay, I'm doing music production, I really enjoy this. And then when I was 18, I got the BBC Two play, and then I started getting other traction and everything. Everyone kept going, so what's it like to be a woman female producer? And I was like, whoa, and I was like, oh my God, like, what, that's crazy, that's a thing. And I, at first I was like, oh, where are all the women at? And then now I know where they are, so, like, because there's, there's quite a lot out there, but I do think that it's... I forgot what the question is. <laughs> the, question, the question was just discuss, really. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, it's all right. Yeah. Um, okay, Did you, do you find that perhaps as you're, you're 22 yeah. now, do you, have you ever felt that is, is the fact that being a female producer or being a young producer, which one often gets more comments? Oh, well, the ones that get more comments, but it's usually a positive thing, is being female. That people are like, oh, you're a woman producer, that's amazing, great, great, great. When they find out how old I am, they're like, oh, you can't be good enough, like, yeah. for the age you're at. Oh, you're running Logic, what? That only ever comes from guys, that people that want to, like, put me down about it. I was, I was saying earlier, it's like, it's crazy, because as a solo artist, when people find out I'm 22, they think I'm really old to be doing the solo artist thing. And then when they find out I'm doing the record production, it's like, I'm too young to do it. And it's like, I'm never the right age for anyone. Like, <laughs> again, I don't think the guys would experience that. I don't think as a solo artist, you wouldn't necessarily... Unless the person looks like 12, you wouldn't ask how old they were, like a guy. And same with the engineer. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go up to an engineer and be like, how old are you? But, so I think that's a level of sexism that you 
experience as a woman that you wouldn't necessarily experience as a man. Like there, yeah. there were a few interesting things that came up on the AIM panel mm. um, about that, um, where I think it was um, the uh, engineer and producer Marta Savoni who. Mm. Um, uh, said that it's really important that when that kind of discrimination is seen in the studio, that it needs to be kind of called out and yeah. and, and stamped out effectively. I mean, uh, do you find that you you encounter this kind of stuff in the studio, or is it generally more of a the problem is the the barrier to entry rather than there being situations once you're in? <laughs> yeah, I think it's very for me and for a lot of people that I work with other female record producers, I think it's very rare that you experience it when you're in the studio because if you've got to that point, like, you're already there, they already know you're a producer, they know they're going to work with you, so they're not going to be problematic. The biggest problem I have is if I go to an event and people don't know who I am or whatever, um, and they immediately, the amount of time people go, oh, are you a singer? Or, oh, are you the girlfriend? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, I'm a record producer. Or like, even at some... I was at an event that you could only be at, like it was VIP, you could only be at if you were a professional record producer and someone still asked if I was someone's girlfriend and I was like, I literally couldn't be in this room unless, unless I was like doing this, so it's just, yeah, so I, I think that that is the, the issue, but in the studio it's not, I've only ever had one experience really where someone hasn't respected me in the studio and that's because I was recording with someone and they really, really want to work with me. And then they got their session guitarist in, who was like this older guy. And when he came in, he was like, we're going to mic it like this. We're going to put one microphone in the middle and we're going to sing around it. And I was like, hold on, like, you haven't even hired me here. Like, what are you doing? And then I was like, I just spoke to the guy I was recording. And I was like, am I mixing this? Or like, how is this being recorded? Because I am not mixing, a, a, I mean, I can't mix a track that's one center microphone. Like, I'm going to close mic. I'm going to do it how I've done it because you've hired me to do it. But again, I don't think that would happen. He asked how, he started off by asking how old I was, and then he said that. So I was like, oh, mate, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably the only experience I've really had with someone actively being a dick to me in the studio. And it, it definitely feels like, uh, whether it's the stuff that's been going on at Red Bull, uh, mm. their studios, the normal no novelty yeah. thing that they're running, or the AIM event, there, there does seem to be a real spotlight at the moment on, on this subject. Do you, yeah. do you think that, I mean, amongst the kind of engineering audio professional community, does it feel like there's a bit of a shift in attitudes at the moment towards this Oh yeah, massively. Even like so, obviously, I would say I've only been super, like, well, been like professionally involved in this in the past two years, or even then, that's still pushing it. So you know, the past six months have been insane. Um, but from when I started, like when I was nineteen, the the absolute difference now is like insane. There's so many more women getting into it, and also because I think there's a lot of the reason why there aren't so many female producers. A lot of them are producing their own music. And they don't regard themselves as producers, where a lot of men will record other people's music or whatever, so then they end up getting regarded as producer, but you're still a producer if you're doing your own music. Um, and that's what I think Red Bull was really highlighted, is like, just because you're recording your own music doesn't mean you're not professional, doesn't mean you're a producer. So I, I think there's a shift. The interesting shift I'm seeing as well is of like the LGBT community and non-binary people, because obviously if you're not binary and you're a producer or whatever, like it's like, where do you fit in this like sphere? Because you're rejected from the women in music events, but you're also being outcasted from the general events, like, you know, in some way. So that's just something that I, I've i noticed that I think is quite interesting. We might just be because I have non-binary friends and 
like trans friends and stuff. So, but I think that that's just the next step in like what's going to happen about gender and being a female record producer or whatever. Um, but yeah. Um, how um, has the MPG helped you at all? Massively, really, because I ended up working on the Laura Marling project, um, the reversal of the muse thing, um, purely through Dan Cox, like, putting forward for it. So that is Laura Marling's podcast. Yeah. Okay. Um, because that was, yeah, because he, he didn't work with Laura for years and he's on the board. Um, generally, just. How did you help with that? Sorry. Um, I engineered and produced, like, one of the tracks with Rhiannon, who is someone I work with as well. Okay. Um, so we did one of the songs for the podcast. Um, and then we got the, did an interview with it as well. So that's like how I got involved in in that particular podcast. But the MPG are really useful because of just how many people are there. And it's like the people that are actually at the MPG want to help the other people that are there. So it's like you go there, everyone's going to be really friendly and nice to you anyway. And this isn't trying to be a plug for the MPG. It just is true. Like I found it hugely beneficial. But also I noticed that some of the other female record producers are a bit like reluctant because they're like, well, it's an old, bo- an old boys club. And it's like... It is, but it wouldn't be if you came. <laughs> so, like, that's kind of my argument. It's like, let's go to that event. Like, let's go to that thing and do it. And they're just so, so, so lovely anyway. So, yeah, that's kind of my view on that. MPG? I think I've kind of asked about it already, but I'm, I'm quite interested. I mean, you say you've been really busy in the past six months. Mm. But um, how, how do you kind of approach your work? Do you... Is it just taking each project as it comes, or do you have what are your kind of ambitions for the next few years, maybe? Okay, <laughs> so I guess a year ago, like today, I didn't even know I was doing the solo artist project. So, like this time last year, I wasn't doing that. So, that's now thrown a massive, not spanner in the work, more just like a lot more work. into the, into the, yeah, a lot more work into the situation. Yeah. So I guess that's just an example of, I don't know how quickly things could change your plans, but now that's something that I have taken really seriously and has built up a lot of traction, so that ends up taking up quite a lot of my time. On the music production side of things, I really want to improve my studio, I want it to get better, I want to work with more and more people. I work, currently work with a lot of unsigned independent artists, or it might be the first or second time they've recorded, which is so nice to be able to give them that experience to give, because I really like educating people when they're in the studio, so when they do go record with someone else, they go in confidently knowing what they want or what they're asking for. Um, but yeah, so I'm working on three EPs and an album at the moment, and I'll end up doing... I don't do like block weeks or like block out time, which some people do, but again, because I'm working with people who don't do it full time, they can't just block out a week of recording. So normally people get days off work or whatever. So I'm recording most days and writing most days. My weekends are usually, I just work, I work seven days a week, <laughs> which I'm sure a lot of people do in music, it's not uncommon. Um, but yeah, it's literally just like someone is in all the time or they stay over because I've got a spare room at the house, so it's really convenient so they can just like come and live at my house for a little bit. <laughs> and you mentioned there that you like to kind of teach people stuff that you've learned. Do, do you think that having a mentor is like, what do you think of the, how, how important do you think it is to have a mentor as a, as a uh, producer? I mean, I guess. I, I wouldn't say I had one mentor. I wouldn't say there's been someone who has been by my side guiding me through teaching me how to do stuff. I do think it's an, a, a collection of like 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 tag teaming. Like along the time I meet someone they're really useful for that period of time, but then then it's not it doesn't work anymore or like not it doesn't work, it's just reached its limit of what it needs to be and then I'll meet someone else and kind of thing like that. And I think that that means you can expand it. 
Um, I actually, funny you mentioned mentoring, because I actually do mentoring for um, a charity called School Ground Sound, um, and it's like a one-on-one thing, and I have like my mentee, and I check up on her every month. So what's, like, what's that about? Um, it's about helping people between the age of 16 and 24, I think, um, to get into the music industry from m- maybe positions or backgrounds where they wouldn't so easily be able to get into them. So the charity is based in Brixton. Um, but yeah, the person I'm working with is a boss. She's amazing. I'm like, you, I, you should be mentoring me. Like, how have you achieved this? But I, I do think it's so nice. And it's so nice to see that every time I meet up with her, that I can see a really positive impact that things I've told her or she's gone and done things. So I think mentoring is an integral part and sharing and, and you know, like teaching other people things is integral because I would not be in the position I am if people hadn't taught me stuff along the way. Yeah. Who are some of the other uh, engineers or producers or, you know, other audio professionals out there at the moment that you think, you know, among your contemporaries that you think are doing really interesting work or, or really good, good work? I think, well, obviously Catherine Marks is just like, hands down, just, I don't know, I don't know if I regard her as a contemporary or whatever, like, just, like she's so, like, uh, on the same level because she's just like next level amazing, but she, if you listen to the new Wombats, tracks and stuff no, no it's no, yeah. really cool it's really cool um obviously Stefano Adriano is just bossing it as well like I don't know if you've listened to it like I don't know if you've listened to her new stuff again but like it's just so good it's so interesting like obviously Charlie Andrew is always doing amazing things as well um and yeah I think Casey Davini's great obviously mastering engineers are a bit different from like engineering and production because you don't have the same amount of creative control over the project. Um, but I also think Rihanna Meyer, who is the person that I co-produced a lot of my stuff with, is just amazing. And she's just done Kimberly Ann's album that's coming out. So uh, there are some people I would like to shout out. Yeah. <laughs> They're just so good. They're so good. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay, so what advice would you have um, for any young uh, engineers or producers that are looking to pursue a career in the audio industry. I mean, I know you're still, obviously, at the relatively early stage. Yeah, definitely. Room, but what would, you, what would you offer as, as a, few, uh, a few little tips for, for the current upcoming generation of engineers and producers? I would say the thing that I think has made me be able to excel at the pace that I have, at the rate I have, is by being nice to people. I'd say like that's hands down like the most important thing like really because if you're nice to people then they're prepared to help you and so that you can learn things quicker and you have more opportunities so i'd say my biggest advice is be friendly also never assume that nobody is nobody or like somebody is nobody like everyone is somebody um so i think that's like a big element the other part is if you wanted to actually have a job in it and you like literally haven't started you've just got logic you've just got your laptop or whatever record your friends or record yourself first so you know what you're doing and then record your friends and maybe do charge them a really small rate just so that you are adding value into what you're doing because when you're doing stuff for free you don't necessarily care about it as much and the person doing it doesn't care about it in the same way or doesn't value it so say even if you are charging 20 pound a song you're then adding value into the situation which then you can then reinvest back into your own gear and improve upon that and it's not all about money obviously but I think that there's sort of a subliminal element to that when you do incorporate money into the situation so I'd say do that and then the other thing is just go to so many events like I, 
I, I still do it, but like when I was starting out, I'd go to every single event I possibly could do, and it does cost money to go, so you need to make sure that you're ma managing ways to cover your costs and things like that. Um, I didn't mean this to be so money orientated, I didn't think it was, so apparently it is. But yeah, I'd, I'd just say like, be nice, go talk to people, and always be prepared to listen to what they say, but also make it clear what you're trying to offer them. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. To you. Thank you.